Eastman On Demand. I'm William Eastman, your program manager for Growthworks Media. And you are listening to WNTW 820 AM or 92.7 FM, The Answer. And you can join the conversation, and this is one you do want to join. You can either do that one of two ways. One is to dial into the show at 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. And I'll remind you of that several times during the show. Or you can live stream the show and do it that way with growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. Uh, this week I'm doing remote. I'm on the road. I've got, um, I'm with clients this week. And unfortunately, the one thing that I don't like doing is I love being in the studio and not sitting in a room with a headset on. Uh, but that's where we are today. So before we start, by the way, today's show is show, uh, we're in season four, show five. And this is on the Ropes Gallery of Thought Leaders. I thought I'd have a little fun talking about some of the people that have influenced our approach to business. And since this season is about owners, executive, um, I also thought that these are probably people you should be reading. But before I start, let me go to the person I appreciate most in the world, because now that I'm remote, I'm making her life uh, doubly difficult, Tracy Lynn. Tracy, good morning. Good morning, Bill. We miss you. We have a brand new studio, and you are our first guest to our brand new studio, and you are missing all the fun. I know. I did. <laughs> I'm sure there's a celebration going on there. We're having fun. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, everything has been very smooth this morning, and so I'm a little bit on edge. Like, okay, what am I forgetting? It's almost too smooth. So yeah, I'm just. I'm, I, I, it sounds I great. You. you sound great, and um, you know. So I'm hoping that we can continue this for the next hour with no trouble. Uh, we shouldn't. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the beauties of technology is that 10 years ago, this would have been almost impossible to do. Exactly. But, but I will say that uh, though we, we couldn't do the show from Portugal uh, in last season because technology-wise, they didn't work. I remember a couple of years ago when I was on another station, we broadcast live from Capri, the island of Capri in Italy. That was that was way cool. Wow. I just was going, I'm sitting there on a balcony overlooking the water and sipping a little wine and doing a radio show. Oh, that's, I'm jealous. That's not the case this morning. <laughs> are, are you at an undisclosed location? Yeah, I'm on the road. I don't want to give away where I'm at and who I'm working with today, but okay. let's put it this way. It's a lot colder than it is here in Richmond, oh, or, what really? it, or it's colder than where you're at in Richmond. Well, it's actually a, kind of a, a warm, balmy morning. It feels... Um, a little bit humid, so feel like we're still in the summertime mode. Well, if it's humid, that means there's rain coming. Yes, I think we're expecting some storms tonight, but, um, you know, I mean, it's all good. No complaints. Okay, so maybe I'm not getting back till tomorrow. <laughs> take your time. Yes, take your time. Okay. All righty. Well, thanks, Tracy, and thanks for letting me do this uh, remote and give my congratulations to Asher because I know how many hours he put in. And at the new studio is beautiful. And you guys yes. got to get pictures of that up on Facebook. We will. As a matter of fact, Asher is here on the mic if you want to chat with him for a second. Yeah, Asher, talk about some of the new capabilities that the, that the station has with the opening of the new studio. Well, for most of the um, listeners out there, they've never seen the studio that we've been in, which is a lot. You know, it's, we've done a lot of upgrades with that studio. But one of the limitations of that was that the producer, 
um, the lovely Tracy Lynn uh, today and the host were in the same room, which made uh, things like answering phone calls a little bit difficult. It also became a little bit cramped, especially when we had up to four people in the studio at once. Uh, it could be a little bit troublesome to get in and out of. So what we've done is we have done, we've built out a uh, control room and studio, which means the producer is in the control room and the host can be in the studio, which is a little bit more normal for, uh, you know, higher end radio stations to, to have a separate setup. So it allows the producer complete freedom to answer phone calls, to do production work and, you know, get clips together for the host uh, on request. And it gives the, the host, you know, that complete freedom to, you know, be as wild as they want to in the studio, which is, you know, we might have had to ask you to tone it down a couple of times, Bill. We, we won't anymore. Well, you know, Facebook Live brings out the worst in people, I think. <laughs> it's also more aesthetically pleasing. So, because I know that uh, I think most uh, 90% of our hosts now are, are also simulcasting on Facebook Live. So, we've uh, wanted to make this aesthetically as pleasing as possible. So, we, we have your logo up here on the screen, um, two screens. Uh, we have two TVs in here. You know, uh, we, we cleaned it up. You know, it's pretty spotless in here. Looks uh, looks good. So we're also ready for, um, you know, a, a great Facebook live feed as well. Yes. Okay, and I, and I I know from I broadcast now out of three stations in the Greater Richmond area. I that that upgrade is killer. It it it, it puts you on par with the best stations in uh, Richmond. And it I is. I won't speak about I won't speak about who we're discussing. Oh, that's that's very wise of you. <laughs> But That's we're right. excited. So you you're the first person in the studio today, and uh, we'll be rolling out the other other shows as as possible in here. And we're excited about uh, getting some feedback and making it even better. Shortly down the road, I think I've capped out on how much time I can put into this. So we're going to be. I'll check the suggestion box in probably about yeah. three months. <laughs> Asher actually Asher Asher pulled an all nighter two nights ago, and uh, he has worked just tirelessly. Uh, for what weeks and weeks, months? It's been Actually, three weeks. this was a this was an idea. What a couple of years ago? Yeah, uh huh. We had a uh, somebody come in to do some construction work, and I, I I snuck in having a piece of glass put in between two walls um, within the construction. I was like, hey, can you do this? And they they removed a piece of glass. So the glass is what makes it possible because now I can talk to Tracy and see Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and though, um, so it's uh it's been a while, and then this past three weeks we got it done. But excited to hear what you have to say today, Bill, and uh, I'm probably going to be tuning okay. in from my radio station uh, right there at my desk. Okay, well, thank you. And, hey, congratulations on good work. That is really – I really like that studio. I wish I was in it. You will be next week, and we're excited about it. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I am too. All right, thanks. Sure thing. Okay, let's, uh, let's rock and roll. So let's, uh, let's get set up for the show. So for – for ongoing listeners, uh, this is repetitive. For new listeners, let me just lay out what we're doing and how to access everything you need to make this work for you as a business owner. We took 2018 and we focused on business growth. Uh, season one and each one of our seasons are based on business quarters because that's kind of where I've come from when I worked in the corporate world. And so uh, January through March, our focus was on revenue. And the reason for that was the uptick in the economy. Uh, suddenly, the, the suppressed demand that was going on over the last four or five years picked up. And there's a lot of sales out there if you can go get them. And so our theme for season one was stop leaving money on the table. Season two took exactly the opposite approach in that we now we turned internally because 
um, and the theme of the, of the season was it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And what happens in most businesses is that um, they allow revenue to hide all sins. And so if you don't have good margins at your previous sales numbers, bringing in more sales is not going to really improve your margins. You got to look at the cost. And so whether you want to talk about cost to profit, the focus we took was on cost. And so because cost is the cause and the effect is profit, you can't get profit by focusing on profit. You get profit by focusing on cost, as well as what we did in season one, getting better margin accounts. Season three was now the, the, the impact of the growth of the economy was that talent, good talent, especially good talent, is hard to find. And so theme, uh, theme of season three, which ended in September, was winning the talent war. And now this season, season four, is interesting in that I needed to do something that kind of perked me up a little bit. And we had just finished writing a book called Owner is Executive. And it's kind of the sum total of everything we've learned in almost 40 years in the industry. Um, Two-thirds of that I spent in the corporate world uh, consulting the large corporations and watching some really good executives and um, watching some not-so-good executives. Also, uh, the last third of my career has been spent on small businesses and basically the same observation. And one of the things that occurred to me is that in large corporations, one of the advantages they have is that they really can invest in training and development of people. So there are very few bad executives at the tops of organizations simply because you can't get there. The problem with business owners, unless you're a escapee from a large corporation, is that um, there are some lessons that you're simply, uh, well, I shouldn't put it that way. You can either ha be trained and developed in these or you learn from the school of hard knocks. You make the mistakes and you go, not doing that again. The focus of this season is, well, let me share with you what effective executive level work looks like when it's all about you, the business owner. And so that's what we're doing this season. And this is this show is chapter five of the book called Rogue's Gallery of Thought Leaders. And even though we try not to be too focused on uh, research, uh, and I'm, I'm going to explain that in a minute, I do believe that there's books of your business owner must be on your bookshelf. It must be read. And I'm going to share just two of them. Um, if you go to my LinkedIn page, I've got a whole listing on that, but we'll deal with that later. So once we've set that up now, here's what you need to do. And you can call and join the conversation, and we can go back and forth, 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Or you can go to our website, and I recommend you go to our website anyway, growthradio.biz, growthradio.biz. You'll come to the homepage, and then right there you'll see Solutions on Demand, and you'll see the call and live number or listen online. Um, so what I'd like you to do right now is go over to the top navigation bar, click resources, and you'll come to a page and it'll say news, blog, and latest products. Products. Uh, click the, blo uh, click the uh, blog. Easy for me to say this morning, overly caffeinated. Click the uh, blog button and that'll take, uh, take you to our blog site. Now, or you can do this directly by simply going to ownerlife, owner.life. And uh, we misspelled owner on, on purpose so that we could perhaps do some branding on it. So it's O-W-N-R, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E. You'll come to a, looks like a magazine with a bunch of images. 
And in the left upper box, you'll see on air. If you click that, you have today's show notes. So let me go there, okay? I started a series uh, because I was writing the book. Um, one of the one of the concepts that I really like is this idea of creating a self-managing organization. Now, I haven't seen too many of these either in the corporate world and small business. And so, but I like the concept behind it because here's the deal. A self-managing organization doesn't mean that there's nobody in charge, there's no bosses, none of that. But it minimizes the amount of supervision that has to go on day-to-day in the business. Is that you could build an organization if it's built correctly and you got the right people you can minimize the amount of time you've got to be spent doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. So I wrote a, I wrote an article for LinkedIn. I've got the two articles up there right now on what does it take? And one of the things that I thought I would share, given where LinkedIn is in terms of the type of people who read LinkedIn, uh, was a list of who I thought were the big thought leaders. So I talked about Peter Drucker, who I never met, met personally, but was a mentor of mine in that a lot of the things that I understood about executive leadership, I learned from Drucker because I, he gave me the model to look at behavior. Another one was Elliot Carlisle, who was not as well known, but he uh, wrote a just a short paper. Uh, it's almost like a like a Chekhov short story, um, which became the basis for the One Minute Manager. And if you'd like that, call in. I'll send it to you. It's it was originally posted in Harvard Business Review about 25 years ago. Another one is Henry Mintzberg, and Henry is probably the foremost management architect, if I can say it that way. And he looked at how organizations grow over time strictly from the perspective of structure and management. And so I learned a lot from Henry in terms of how to look at organizations. And again, these are models that you want to use as you observe what's going on to help you work with the business owner to diagnose where the issues may lie and where is the leverage point. In other words, the leverage point is what's the one thing we could do to have the maximum amount of impact. And then finally, somebody that I came across a couple of years ago who I've, I've been enthralled with, almost how I, I would say a man crush on, except it's not, it's not a gender thing, is that I have a consultant crush on, Nassim Tlaib. And if, you, if you've heard of him, you've heard of the book Black Swan, um, you know him. And he wrote another book called Anti-Fragile, which is killer. Now, he is a hedge fund manager, and he looks at a business from the perspective of an investor. And that is a totally different perspective that if you work in a company, I can guarantee you, unless you're in a large corporation and you're managing investors, you don't look at the company that way. So I pulled those together. Now, for today's show, I'm going to add somebody who is kind of the father of this concept of businesses go through stages of growth, and that's Ishak Adizas. Now, that sounds like a, a complicated name. What I recommend, again, is that you go to our website, you click on resources, click the blog, the upper left-hand corner box where it's, uh, the image says on air, click that, or go to ownerlife, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E, and again, in the upper left-hand corner box, click that and take a look at it. Now, what Adizas did is he, he combined all the research, and I'm going back now to the late 60s. Um, and other than Tlaib, we're talking uh, most, of, most of my heroes, uh, as thought leaders, my rose gallery, or people who cut their teeth a long time ago. And so what he did is he looked at all the research on growth and what he felt, and it, and it was kind of a, a consensus in 
the organizational development community where I have my academic credentials is that there was some predictability about how companies grow. And he pulled all that research together, and he was really the father of this concept of growth stages. And what he identified is that there were eight stages of growth and decay that companies go through. Now, we shortened that up, and our model only has six. And the reason for that is, one, we didn't do the three growth uh, death stages. We didn't talk about that because, hell, I don't want to consult on how to die, how to kill your business other than here are the signs to look for. And then we added some work by a, a gentleman who's now passed on uh, by the name of Thomason, who was looking at how fast companies grow uh, without, small businesses grow quickly without considerable outside investment. And we kind of combined that together into a single model. But here's the thing that from, uh, from Ishak that I, uh, I, and I, and I had the good fortune of meeting him about 25 years ago, and it, this is how I got turned on to it. First of all, there is predictability to growth. In other words, if you know what stage of growth you're in, then you know what stage is coming next. However, he also makes it clear, and it is true because I'm on my fourth startup, so not only do I consult the small businesses, I have my own, is that growth is not promised. In other words, if you don't address the issues in front of you right now at this growth stage, you won't go to the next one and you'll kind of die there. And that's kind of a lot of the basis of our technology comes from that. And the third thing is that each stage has a set of issues. Some of those issues are normal. In other words, if you're here, let's say you're in a growth stage of uh, what we call stage two, which is all about sales. In other words, you need to make enough money to prove your business idea. And making enough money means you have predictable and sufficient cash flow to pay all your bills, including yourself. And that does two things. One is it alleviates the pressure off you as the owner, because I know a lot of owners that on Wednesday night, they start having sleep problems because they got to make payroll on Friday. Uh, but, but the other thing that it did beyond that was it brought predictability to incoming money so that you could begin to budget because a lot of times business opportunities open up really quickly. And if you can't jump them, then it's really hard to take advantage of them, as well as a crisis could occur, and you better have some dollars available to you to fix the crisis. And so those are normal issues that rise, but he also identified that there are abnormal issues. That means that if you are in a growth stage and you didn't deal with some of the things before, now suddenly they're gonna come back to haunt you and they're gonna be barriers. And so what we do with our clients is we look at what their issues are. And I don't want to say problems. I say issues and what's normal and what's abnormal. And that may help you determine, well, let's go after the abnormal stuff first because they are definitely making the situation worse and they are slowing you down. But the impact on that was that it identified where, a co based upon where a company is, where should their attention, the focus uh, the financial resources at the owner's disposal? Where does it need to be focused so they can deal with today and then say, well, what's coming next? And a lot of times, unless you've had a couple startups under your belt, um, you don't know what's coming next. Now, in our case, what it really did to us is that when I had read that, I was on my third company. And we had one company that was incredibly successful. And one of the challenges of being incredibly successful the first time out is hubris. You think uh, you got this wired that you are, you know, 
the guru, the godhead of uh, business startups, and you're you're an entrepreneur that ought to be on Inc. Magazine, on the cover of Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur Magazine. Well, we started a second company, and the second company went down and almost wiped most of us out. And it was one of those, how could that happen? I mean, look at what we did. How could we possibly have a company that was losing money? And, and yet, that's exactly what happened. And I had just started a third company. I'm on my fourth company, by the way, right now. My third company got bought out. We did reasonably well. And we went inside of a larger company to create a training, a consulting operation. They liked what we were doing. And we were buying some of the materials from them. But that's another story. But the thing that hit me the most is it answered the, this answered the question of why we succeeded the first time and failed the second time. Because even though I'm in the business, I couldn't figure it out. Was it luck? Did we make bad decisions? And what I realized is that we didn't attend to the things we needed to attend to to move forward. And so that was the impact that Adesis had on us. And, of course, our model for business growth uses Adesis' research as its basis. And uh, as I said in, in the introduction to that, we've also added other pieces. Now, the second person I want to talk about, um, and I will not get him in completely uh, before the break on purpose because I want to slow down a little bit and that's Nassim Tlaib. And, um, yeah, I would recommend to any of you, if you, um, use YouTube a great deal, go ahead and, um, look for YouTubes on him. He's a very interesting character. He is Greek born in Lebanon, trained in France and one of the more successful hedge fund managers in the United States. And his initial book, that he wrote was called Black Swan. And he wrote this book right before the crash of 2007 and 2008. And the premise behind the book is this, is that what we know is that there, there are always unpredictable catastrophic events that will pass through an economy. Now, it could be a war that affects the economy, it could be the economy directly, but the economy always reflects what's going on in society. And so he said, on the one hand, we know they're coming. There's no doubt about that this is going to happen. The question is, is what is it? And so, and he used the analogy of the black swan. Anybody who's got a background in biology knows that if you've got um, animals with res or plants, for that matter, with recessive traits, if you bring, um, in the case of swans, you bring swan all swans are white. But let's say two swans mate that have a recessive black gene, suddenly in your lake, you've got a black swan. Now, how did it get there? Well, it wasn't because a black swan came in and made it with a white swan. It was a recessive trait. And so it was one of those, how did that just pop up? And, and that's his premise, is that these black swans go, go on all the time. And that the danger that you have is a lot of people will then use the last one to predict what the next one's going to be. And that's never the case. Never the case. Now, what's significant to you as the business owner is a couple of things. One is ask yourself, what is the next black swan? But more importantly is, how do I survive it? When we come back from the break, we're going to pick up the topic there. Talk to you then.
And we're back. This is, this is Grove Radio Solutions on Demand. I'm William Eastman, Program Manager for GrowthWorks Media. I also work as a fractional executive, business coach, whatever, um, whatever title you want to put on it. And basically, the easiest way of saying it is I help business owners go from where they are to where they want to take their companies, and I provide to them the necessary tools to do so. And in part of the tools will be an education, which is what we're doing here. And I'm talking about in today's show, the ropes gallery of um, thought leaders, people that have influenced me. And just as an aside, before we could pick up the topic again, is I eat one to two books a week. And when I mean eat, I mean, I constantly looking at the management literature. I'm looking at research, anything that will give me another insight that is useful to a business owner. I do the work for you. And if you want to know something and you say, hey, where did you get that? I'll tell you where I got it. Uh, We do our own research here. We look inside of our accounts. So models and methodologies that we use and tools have all been modified to fit the client. Um, However, uh, I have an obligation, both professional and personal, to talk about the people for whom I have the ability to stand on their shoulders. And one of the individuals we were talking about before the break was the hedge fund manager, uh, Nassim Tlaib. And uh, where I left it off was his first book, his concept of black swans, which he wrote uh, like he knew it was coming. I believe it was published in 2006, which basically defined what was going to happen in 2007 and 2008 with the recession. Now, what he didn't do, he didn't predict what the swan was. He simply talked about the concept of black swan and what the concept is is every so often in history, um, if you look at the stock market, it's almost every 10 years, uh, but that doesn't account for wars and, and other major changes. Uh, a black swan will come along totally unpredictable. You didn't see it coming. And then it has an enormous impact on the economy. But he's an investor. So what he's looking at is companies who have the ability to deal with this. And so that gets me into what is relevant for you. Um, and that is... He developed kind of a continuum to look at the fitness of a business to deal with a black swan. And so when I read this, I was like, uh, wow, because the, because organizationally, this fits very well. And one of the things that I did, I typically don't cite my master's degree in OD uh, because most business owners could care less about that type of stuff. And I agree with them because it doesn't fit their world, their immediate world. But I had studied systems theory. And systems theory had this concept that you basically, there are three levels to organizations. There are the organizations that are reactive. In other words, they don't fix anything until something bad happens, they respond to it. Then there are companies in the middle that are are proactive, okay? And what that means is that they spot these coming and that they are you know basically ready. They fix the problem before it occurs. And then uh, on the other end of the continuum is what's called generative, and that these organizations are constantly changing and improving. So therefore, um, they don't get hit with stuff. They're constantly in front of it, and they're learning from the organization. Now, it's not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison, but when he talked about his continuum, and he said that there's a continuum of business fitness, one on one end is the fragile. In the middle is the robust. And on the opposite end is an anti-fragile. And so what fragile means is that any major event, whether it is predictable or unpredictable, 
will put the company in a precarious position or will kill it. And as an investor, when he looks at a company and he sees that they're fragile, uh, you've got to guarantee about where his money is not going uh, as an investor. And so how fragile is your business? How many major events are you away from going out of business? And that's one of the evaluations that we make. Now, what's in the middle of this? In the middle of this is companies that are robust. In other words, giving any predictable, unpredictable event, they have got the capacity. Um, it could be the infrastructure. It could be access to capital, cash on hand, talent. doesn't matter what it is. But when one of these black swans hit, they can deal with it, and they'll survive it, and it won't put them out of business. It may disrupt the business and it may hurt profitability, but they're going to be there when it's over. So like, let's take a recession, is that the fragile companies go out of business during a recession. They're gone because, again, they're just hanging on. And in some cases, they're zombie companies in that they're already dead, and but they just don't know it. They can't smell the carcass. Um, on the other hand, the robust companies go through this. They survive. The storm comes through. They batten down the hatches. They secure um, all the weather decks, and they get through it. But he said that's not the optimal. As an investor, that's not the optimal. The optimal is the anti-fragile company, which is on the other end of the continuum, because they don't just survive the event, they prosper. So when the recession, as an example, hits, who suddenly is experiencing rapid growth? Because those are the companies, as an investor, at a minimum, you want to invest in the robust, but the anti-fragile companies are the ones that you really want to see. Those are the ones that you want to invest in, uh, because when this bad thing happens, they're going to take off. And so I took that and said, well, that's a great way of describing the life of a small business owner, is that most of them are fragile. Um, my guess is about 80% of all small businesses are fragile. And I wrote a paper on this a while back, and we did a couple shows on this, and it's on the blog site called 51580. And so 80% of the companies are fragile. And so they're just an event away from going down um, or, or being at death's door, and maybe they can be uh, retrieved or not, depending upon how much the owner has extended themselves personally in terms of do they have any more gas in the tank or how precarious is the financial position. Um, and so 15% of the companies are robust. They, they, can, they can deal with the heavy seas and the storms, and they'll get through it, and there may be minor, there'll be minor damage, but the boat will be afloat. And then there's 5% of the companies that just totally dominate the market. And when I thought about that is that maybe the best way of describing those companies is anti-fragile. And so what this did is it gave me the ability to take a look at an organization and evaluate it based upon a set of criteria to say, where, where are they in terms of fragility, robustness, or anti-fragileness? Now, I could change the terminology and claim that it's my own, but I'm not going to do that uh, because I would want you to research this out. So I got a recommendation here before I move on to the third and last part of the conversation. I would recommend that you, however you buy books, whether I don't think there's an electronic version for the first one, but whether you go to the bookstore, you go to Amazon, you go to Google, I don't, you know, I'm not promoting anybody. One book that ought to be on this shelf is called The Pursuit of Prime by Ishak Adesis, and uh, I-C-H-A-K, I-C-H-A-K, first name, Adesis, A-D-I, 
ZES, ADI, ZES, and it's called the Pursuit of Prime. That will give you the basis of what you need to know when you look at your business to say, and this is a micro, a detailed drill down perspective. On the other hand, I would recommend that you, um, and you can get this as an ebook because that's how I have it, and that's Nassim Tlaib's Anti-Fragile. And, and Nassim is a, is, a, is a much more difficult read, um, and he is a, uh, he was, he's basically a Renaissance man. He will cite uh, Greek mythology, uh, Roman history. He'll use all those examples to make his case, but he's one of the great contrarian thinkers. And one of the things that I do is I love to read contrarian thinkers. There are too many people out there who are into this groupthink, and in the management world, it's true, into this groupthink about what's right and wrong. And I don't like to accept conventional wisdom. What I like to do is look at the contrarians, because more than likely, the contrarians are talking about what is the next thing. And so those are two authors that I would recommend. Um, Adesis's Pursuit of Prime ought to be on your bookshelf. And Nassim Tlaib's Anti-Fragile ought to be on your bookshelf or on your Kindle or whatever electronic device you got. Okay, so now let me, let me pull this together for our theory of everything. And again, this is, would be a great time if you want to talk about those two or how we pull this together. 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Um, best way to join the conversation, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook um, right now. But uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at multitasking, but I can't type on Twitter and talk at the same time. I can train and talk. I can train and think at the same time, but I can't seem to make my keys, fingers work the keys on something while I'm talking. All right. Now, what's our theory of everything? Well, we took, we t- we took these two models and we put them together. Um, really, what we didn't have uh, 10 years ago was an overall evaluative model as, as as good as this one. What we would do is we would look at a company and evaluate it on the stages of growth. And where do they stand in terms of success versus failure? Because each stage of growth has a failure point. So for example, let me talk through the stages just really quickly. A company in stage one, which is before you open the doors and start selling, um, what does it take? It takes basically, you got your financial set up, you got enough capital to get started, you have a pretty decent plan of attack of how you're going to go, and you put some energy into your branding and marketing so that you've identified what you think is the perfect customer and how are you going to surround them with messaging. Um, if you don't do that, you're not going to make it. Also, if you take too long doing that, the other failure point is you run out of capital. And stage two growth is all about sales because you've got to prove the concept, and the only way you can prove the concept is by selling. And so the focus here is how well um, did you, does your brand capture what your message is? Does it make you unique and distinctive in the customer's mind? Uh, your, does your marketing surround them? And then how are you managing the sales funnel? And the failure point here is the owner's not involved in sales in some fashion, whether the owner is the only salesperson or the owner has a role. But most of the small businesses where the owner is totally uninvolved in sales uh, don't make it. Uh, you run out of cash is one of the other failure points. Uh, the third stage is kind of that catch your breath. We call it the next act. And so you say to yourself, okay, in stage one, here's who we thought we were. You get to stage three and you go, well, is that who we are? Because what happens in stage two 
when you're selling is you're constantly looking for opportunities and anybody who's paying you money, you, you typically go do it. And then suddenly you realize you're doing jobs or you're taking on clients, you know, no matter what you're doing is that you will have profitable accounts. You'll have unprofitable accounts. Uh, now you didn't know that going in. So it's not a, you didn't make a bad decision initially, but now as you look back on it and say, well, I need more of one type of account or selling more of one type of offer over the other. The other thing you find out is, is that your infrastructure simply isn't there. And so the deal then becomes what infrastructure do I have to build so that I can grow my company? And this is typically when you've got to focus on processes. Um, and it's typically when you start bringing in new blood, because more than likely you have a need that requires somebody with some specific expertise and you don't have it inside. So you're going to have to hire outside. The, the failure points here is um, failure to build the infrastructure required to sustain a business also is dealing with the conflict that will more naturally occur between uh, new people and old people, because it may be that somebody there thought that should have been promoted up a level and you recognize that they didn't have what it took to do that job. So you brought in an expert, somebody who had that experience. We can kind of guarantee that there's going to be some friction there. The fourth stage is what we call hockey stick, big fast. And one of the things I do with our clients is I have them evaluate if, if they were maximize all of their equipment and people, how much revenue could they generate? And then let's compare that against what they are generating. And I, I can't give you an average number. Uh, it could be 40% of what's possible. It could be up to 80% of what's possible. But the deal here is I got a gap here. In other words, I could do more work if I sold more work. Or I could produce more items if, in fact, um, I had the capacity to produce more items. Uh, or, no, excuse me, I had the sales to sell that. So what happens in stage four is you close the gap between how much money you're making versus how much money you could be making. Or a different way of saying it is how much work are we doing versus how much work we could do. And that's what happened in stage four. And it's a, it's a fun stage. This is when you're really rock and roll. This is when you really think you're your business. The failure point here is the structure of working capital and wrong talent. Those are the two things that will take you down. And then when you get to the top of the stage, stage five, is this is when you optimize the business. And what typically happens here, it's again, it's another breather. So we'll get it this way. Stage one is an internal perspective on the business. Stage two is external. Stage three is internal. Stage four is external. Stage five is now you're catching your breath. And in fact, this is what Adesis um, talks about in the pursuit of prime. He calls it the optimization point of the business of prime. And at this point here, the company will never be worth more money. And so the focus is on profitability. What else can we do? What else have we learned that we can take out costs into the system? What other standardizations that we need to put into place, process, uh, standard operating procedures, et cetera, things that we've got to write, infrastructure we can build on. And the failure point here is indecision. And what that means is that if you don't see, in other words, you only have, there's three choices and only two of them are good. Choice number one is to sell the business. It'll never be worth more money than it is right now. So that's choice number one. And if that's where you're at, good decision. Choice number two is you renew the business. And when you say, okay, I've done that because actually this is a loop. The next stage, stage six, which is a renewal stage, which is not part of Adesis' research. This is what we got from Tomlinson. And if you're an investor, 
and you look at companies, it's called inflection points. We looked at it as kind of a loop. If you can kind of picture an airplane, you got to the highest you could go, the plane starts to stall. Um, so what are your options? And one in an airplane is you, you crash to the ground, or the other one is you pick up speed and then you loop the plane and you take it higher. And that's where we're going with growth. And so the failure point at, at, at stage uh, five is indecision. And the third option is the bad one is the company begins to decay. You will not stay at the pinnacle. You will not stay there. You only have two choices if you don't want the business to start backtracking. And then stage six is a renewal where you say, maybe what we got to do is rethink the business. Maybe we need a new product line, a new service line. Maybe we, because there's some technology out there, maybe we need to overhaul our processes. But basically what you're doing is renewing the company. And then where are you? You're back into stage four. And then suddenly you see these loops. And one of the things that Tomlinson did for us is that he tracked all these companies. And I'm not talking about the Googles of the world. Um, that you know had 150, 200, 200 million dollars uh, from Silicon Valley when they started. I'm talking about the companies like you and I run, where fundamentally we're not taking on investors until the later stages. Right now, it's our pockets, maybe some family members and sales. And so, what he found was the companies that went from zero to a billion only took four loops, and at the average amount of time. Um, uh, it, it would take to go to a billion dollars. Um, any, it, the, the averages were four, six, and 12 years, depending upon how much capital was available to the company and what was the growth perspective of the industry that you're in. So if you have a lot of access to capital in a high growth industry, you could get to a billion dollars in four loops. And so maybe it's zero to 10 million and it's 10 million to 50 million and it's 50 to 200 million. And so it's kind of that exponential growth. So what we do when we look at a company is we say, where are you? Where do you want to go? What are the normal, abnormal issues? What do you need to deal with? And now what we've done is we've also taken the evaluation of how at least robust is the business to deal with these issues so you can sustain it over time. Now, the other thing that we incorporate in this is uh, some work from Henry Minsberg about the different parts of the organization. So for example, what, co what processes do you build? If you looked at an organizational chart, what parts of the chart need to be filled in? Um, and so companies that are in the uh, early stages of growth, there's predominantly a flat organization with the owner, with people below them. And then as they begin to grow toward the later parts of stage two and stage three, you say to yourself, you know, I've got to bring in a level of supervision because the hub and spoke system of uh, leadership management doesn't work where the owners, the hub and the employees of the spokes is that there's too many spokes and I can't deal with all that. So by bringing in supervisors, I've now brought the number of spokes down again, and now they're managing their own hub and spoke system. And so what happens next? You go from emphasis at the top of the organization to get your act together the emphasis to the bottom, which is in sales. Then the emphasis moves to the middle of the organization where you start bringing in managers. The focus becomes profit. And then finally, as you get to the top and you get to stage five, the focus now shifts over to instead of running a business based upon personal direction in early stages, um, managing a process, middle stages at the top here, you're managing a business by results. And then if you're managing a company by results and it's able to achieve those results because everything is there that it needs to be there. Then there's no difference between you running a 
$2 million company and the CEO managing a $2 billion company because you know what you both have in common? You've got the infrastructure and the people to manage by results. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to engage anybody that like to take that concept and take it a little bit further. Um, 804-454-1366. That's 804-454-1366. Okay, let's see here. I just got a hit uh, from social media. Uh, and the question is, what are the major failure points uh, of companies not being able to do this? I Okay. I think that the major failure point of all of them, the one that I deal with the most, is what's called owner trap. And that usually appears at stage three, where you're going into this next act. And um, what the owner trap means is that all businesses, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that I've said this many times, is that all small businesses are idiosyncratic, meaning they all take on the personalities and characteristics of the owner. And so what the owner is strong at, the business is strong at, what the owner is weak at, the owner is, the, the business is weak at. And what happens is that how far you can get is going to be totally based upon the strengths and weaknesses of the owner. But at some point, you go no further. You're done. If the owner is has two choices, one is to change, um, which might be what you need to do, uh, since I'm a more of a a, uh, a devotee of Drucker, my suggestion would be instead of trying to work at what you're not good at, hire people who are good at that and then give them some control to do that. Now, really where the owner trap comes in more than anything else beyond the strengths and weaknesses is this issue of control. Uh, one of the things that drives me crazy, which is about every one of my uh, small business accounts is that the owner's unwillingness to surrender control, even to try an experiment of giving people more authority. Now, I understand it. I run a business, and I understand that. Um, I, don't, I don't understand it intellectually anymore. I understand it emotionally. But it's the same deal, is that if you cannot get out of your own way as the owner, you're not going to go where you want to go. You're not going to grow the business to the level you want to grow it. It is not going to be possible. And so when we did our article on 51580, one of the things we found is that, is that that's true about the, the business owners. Every one of those five percenters have long ago gotten out of their own way and were able to then take the company uh, as far as it can go and as far as they want to go. Because I'm not out here advocating that you need to take your company to a billion dollars. Uh, I'm advocating that you take your company to the level you want to take it. Uh, I would say to you, if you said to me, uh, I, I only want to run a $1 million company and you have already invested and you've got the capacity to run a $2 million company, that's when I'll push back. But if you have potentially a $2 million company and you say to me, I want to be a $2 million company, I'm not going to push back on that. It's your company, not mine. And so that's not my objective, but um, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you achieve what you want to achieve. Okay, I got another one here on teams. All right, so comment on teams. And that is teamwork. Well, you could say that teamwork is always important. All right, so that's kind of a given. However, there are times when teamwork is more important to others. And what I would say to you is that stage three is typically where the organization begins to take a look at building in general terms in the company, the company is a team. 
Now, the subsets of that can only come about when you have organized the company correctly and you got the right functions in there. And then you focus on teamwork there. So teamwork becomes important around stage three. Not that if you had teamwork from the beginning, it wouldn't be helpful. It absolutely would be. But a different way of saying this, and I'll use a, a, a thesis's language, is that if you don't have teamwork as you're approaching stage four, you have an abnormal issue to deal with. Not a normal one. It is abnormal. And so that's when that begins to happen. By the way, teamwork becomes more and more essential because though I have very few clients who are in getting ready for renewal, you know, kind of go through that stage six and doing the loop and taking the business higher is that the stage six is predominantly a team innovation issue. Um, so if you look at what the best companies do, the ones that are able to do those loops, they've got, they put together project teams with pretty good people who are able to work together and are smart enough to be able to make good decisions about either uh, about how to fix or how to build what needs to be done. Uh, typically, they don't necessarily make the decision because that still stays with the owner. But that's where I would say focus on teamwork. Uh, if you want to do it in stage one and two, go ahead. Uh, that, that, that's fine. In other words, if you've got the energy and you've got the time, it won't affect you. If, on the other hand, if you don't do it by stage three, you're going to have some issues. All right, with that, so we're approaching the end of the hour. So here is my recommendation. Let me go back to the reading list. Book number one, Pursuit of Prime by Adizes, A-D-I-Z-E-S. And if you go to our blog site, which is owner, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E, and go to On the Air, the upper left-hand corner box, um, you'll see it spelled out. Though if you did a search on Google or whatever your favorite search engine is, um, Pursuit of Prime, and then the other one would be any fragile by Yassam Tlaib. And so with that, what I want to do is I want to thank everybody who was listening, whether you're listening to this live or you're listening to the podcast. Um, I heartily recommend that you go to the blog site. And I have a special offer there that if you uh, take me up on it, uh, we'll be talking. So take care. This is Eastman out. Thank you.